You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so tonight we're going to be continuing with our series of Shirim on the Indian of Hope, on the Indian of Kivoy, on the ability for a person to be nichsaf to something, to desire after something, and to yearn for something. And as we spoke about last week in the introductory Shir towards the Sugya of Hope, we spoke about how hope, in contradistinction to the typical way that the world understands hope as a present that yearns towards a distant future in the hopes of bringing the present into the future. We described the hope that comes out of the writings of our tzaddikim as the opposite direction, not a present that seems to displace itself in the future, but rather a present that draws the future into itself so that at the very limit, at the very edge, at the very safas, at the very lip of the present moment, when a person seems to teeter over the edge of hopelessness for what the present moment might offer, what we come to find is the burgeoning presence, the emerging pregnant sense of a future that is beginning to melt into the present itself so that the role of hope is not to displace us or blind us from the present moment to lead us into some fantasy space of a future that has not yet arrived, but rather the role of hope is to draw through cords of love the ungraspable, non-emerged future and force it into the present. So that, as it turns out, hope itself is not simply a means to an end, It's not simply some vehicle that we will throw away once we accomplish what we hope for, but rather hope itself on a certain level is the goal. As we saw from Rav Huttner, that the prayer that we offer on Purim, is that even when we accomplish what we hope for, even when our hopes are purely satisfied, let us still hold on to the power of hope. Let us still connect to you, Hashem, with that yearning and that desire that can only be tasted when we don't have what we want. Because within the hopeful moment, what we have is the transformative sense, the transformative power to allow every present moment to become an opening through which the future can melt into it. And then what we spoke about last week as well was mapping this onto the chart of what is referred to as the Seder HaHishtalshlus the unfoldings of the world, the blueprint that our Mikubalim, our tzaddikim, based on the Zohar HaKadosh and the previous writings, describes for us. And we saw that as the Arizal describes for us, this narrative, this unfolding of existence, takes place in a two-step dance. 
And it's very important to recognize that A, there are two steps, and that B, it's still a dance. Because when a person looks at an idea that is simply two steps, step one and then the second step, there's a risk that a person can forget the fact that in truth, these two stages of a process are part and parcel of a bigger picture that comprises both of them together. So when we talk about the initial symptom, the initial contraction of the infinite light so that the void can merge and the void can form, and then the eventual re-entrance of that ray of light, the re-entrance of infinity back into the finite voided space of existence, it's important on the one hand to recognize that these are two separate stages, two separate giluyim, two separate forms of revelation that HaKadosh Baruch Hu engaged with in order to create the world. But at the same point, in spite of how different they look, they still comprise a dance that is made up of both of those steps. So that there's a unity that subsumes and that circles and that covers even that which appears to be disparate and separate. And we said in the name of the Ramchal and in the name of the Ramban that the language of the Kav, this idea of a ray of light that comes back down into the void, is the same language as Kivoy, the same root word as hope and yearning, as if to say that the entire purpose of Hashem removing himself and making it seem like there's an empty space, the void of Hashem, so to speak, was simply so that human beings can emerge within the sense of yearning, so that there can be a sense of absence, so that we can yearn for presence. Because as the Meforshim on the Eitz Chaim point out, HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have also left his infinite light there to begin with in the shape of the Kav. If the purpose was to re-enter a very measured ray of light, why couldn't God, so to speak, have just allowed that very limited space to remain there after removing all other light so that it could have just simply been a one-step process? Hashem could have been mitzamsim himself, leaving over that measured ray, that measured kav, and we wouldn't have had to come on to this two-step dance of the tzimtzum, the contraction, and then the eventual re-entrance. Why the need for this lag or this durational period, this absence between the initial act of the tzimtzum, of the initial act of contraction, and the secondary afterwards act of the re-entrance of the kav? And different tzaddikim from different Batei Midrashos discuss this. The Rabbi Rashab discusses this in hundreds of places. The Leshem discusses this. The Meforshim, the Svardim Meforshim on the Yitzchayim discuss this. All announce in unison that the entire purpose of the Tzimtzum, the entire purpose of that initial contraction, is so that there exists the possibility of losing hope. Is that so there exists that sentiment within the recess of, of the individual's mind, that it's possible that Hashem is absent here. Because it's that very possibility of absence, that very moment of anxiety when the heart is struck with that frightening fear that descends into the very core of the heart of hearts that says, what if there is nothing? That sense is fundamentally necessary so that the next moment we can be filled with a yearning and a desire and a hope and a kivoy that draws that light back down into our lives. The Meforshim announced that had HaKadosh Baruch Hu had God left over that infinite light, 
without fully removing it, kavyachol, whatever that might mean, then there never would have been even a semblance of entertaining the idea of God's absence. That Simpson was there to create vessels, to create empty space, to create the possibility of hopelessness, which is the only possibility of where hope can grow. Without the possibility, that frightening possibility of losing hope, there would be no value, there would be no novelty in the act of hope. So therefore, we ended with saying that this entrance of God into creation in the form of creating a voided space, which for each and every one of us, we can imagine what we will with regards to what voided space means. Anxiety, sadness, fear, anticipation, difficulty, frustration, anger, resentment, all of the different negative emotional strengths that fill up the void of our souls when they feel empty. That's what the halal means for us. It means the possibility of chilu, of, of mundanity, of the negation of holiness, of profanity. It means halulim halulim. It means holes and vacuums and empty spaces. It means a halal. It means the possibility of a corpse. It means the possibility of life exiting and leaving behind all these broken memories. And all of that is simply for the sake of the re-entrance of the kav, the possibility of kivoy, of hope. Now, what we're going to do in order to begin tonight's shir, Bezra Sashem, is again, we're going to, at least for the next, this year and the previous year, we're going to be framing the sugya of hope in the writings of the Mikubalim to show that the rest of the time in the future shir, and when we discuss different opinions of particular tzaddikim in standalone sources, it's not simply a hodgepodge of a potpourri of different ideas that are taken from different svarim, but rather the entire history, the cyclone of all of our different tzaddikim who converse across time and across empty spaces, as Rabbi Nachman tells us so often, that their conversations are simply commentary on books that were written before they were born. And those books were commentary on books that were written before the second voice was born. So that the history of Jewish thought, whether the tzaddik is from the Misnagdim or from the Hasidim or from the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh or from the Vilna Gon or from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov or from the Ramchal, all of them in unison are joining together within that solar system, within that universe of Rabbi Nachman that we discussed to create new constellations of thought where stars that appear to be so separate and apart from one another begin to take on a shape that allows them to work together. This is what it means to learn in the Mahalach of Ravichemeyer Morgenstern Shlita, who sees all of the different schools and all of the different voices throughout the history of Jewish literacy from the beginning of time till the end of time from the Torah Kaduma to the Torah of Atikas Dima'a as being one singular voice that is comprised of multiple voices. And we're going to see, after we chart all of these ideas onto the Arizal, how all of the tzaddikim are talking when they speak about the psychology of hope. They're also talking about how Hashem created the world and the purpose of how Hashem created the world. When the Arizal discusses the dynamics of the Kav, when the Arizal discusses the dynamics of the re-entrance of infinity back into finitude, the re-entrance of the light of hope back into the pockets of hopelessness, there's a very important distinction that the Arizal makes. That if we can imagine that that void, that halal, is a circular vacant space, and then that kav, that kivoy, is a line, it's a direct ray that descends down into that circle. 
And the Arizal states Feirush explicitly that the reason that the light of God, so to speak, had to reemerge in the form of a ray is because a ray, a line, has a beginning, a middle, and an end, unlike a circular shape which is equidistant at all points. And the purpose of the re-entrance of the light of hope and the light of Hashem into existence in the form of a line is to ensure that distinctions have a place in the world, that there can be a top and there can be a middle and there can be a bottom, that there can be an upper and there can be a lower. There can be places where the light of Hashem is more apparent and there can be places where the light of Hashem seems to be more concealed. Had the light of Hashem re-entered into that circle in full force, coming from every direction in the same measure, it would have been nearly impossible for a person to see any form of distinction. And therefore, this kav hamida, this line of measurement, descends in a way that allows for distinction to take place. Distinction between up and down, right and left, distinction between good and bad, positive and negative, hope and hopelessness, right and wrong, mitzvah and avera, etzadas and etzachayim. This distinction, these measurements, allow for all of the disparity and all of the separateness that we experience in our lives, down to the dynamics of each and every individual's psychodynamic space that exists within the heart of hearts. And the Arizal states that the purpose of this was so that human beings needed to put in effort, volitional activity to be able to choose light out of darkness, hope out of hopelessness, infinity out of finitude, positivity out of negativity. And had the light been revealed, whatever that might mean, had divinity been so clear, had presence and meaning been so clear as to blind the ability to make the choice to choose the opposite of good, then there would have been no novelty in our choosing good. And therefore God, so to speak, for the sake of Bechira, for the sake of personal choice, enters a measured ray of light, a kav, the same language as kivoy, back into that circle. And the Arizal states as follows. He says that the kav enters into the halal. The possibility of hope, the possibility of light enters back into that voided space and it descends and it descends and it descends, but it stops in the middle. It stops in the middle. Why does the line stop in the middle? The line stops in the middle because outside of this void, outside of this halal, outside of this space wherein HaKadosh Baruch Hu was going to create reality with all of its vicissitudes and difficulties, what abides outside of our limited space, out of our space of profanity and death and destruction and difficulty and vacancy, the infinite light, the annihilating infinite light that existed prior to the creation of that void still exists, saturating all space outside of it. And so that underneath the circle, at the bottom of the circle, at the bottom of the halal, the infinite light exists as well. And if the ray of hope that enters in from the top were to descend all the way down to the bottom, so then all distinction would fall away because the infinite light that exists above the halal would connect with the infinite light that exists below the halal. And the top and the bottom would reveal to themselves to be part and parcel of the same thing, of sof ma'aseh b'machshavat and that recognition 
would end the entire game of being. It would end the entire playing field or purpose of human volitional behavior because it would become abundantly apparent that really the infinite light is what's at play here and we just exist in a fantasy womb. And therefore the Arizal says, Hashem Kav Yachol stops the Kav from descending to the bottom of the Chalal, stops that line of infinity from descending back down to the bottom, because if it touched the bottom again, then the top and the bottom would be nullified, and the bottom would be the top, and the top would be the bottom, which Amir Hashem will experience. And so Hashem arrests the development of that Kav and tells it to limit itself. He limits his expression in the middle of the Chalal. And therefore, the symptom of that arrested movement is a world of distinction, a world of separation, a world of gradation, and a world of measurement, where the higher is higher, and the lower is lower, and the higher is better, and the lower is worse. And there are people who are above touching the top of the Kav, and there are people who are at the bottom who experience the negativity of the world. And the bottom is the bottom, Mamish. The bottom is hopelessness. The bottom is difficulty. The bottom is anxiety. The bottom is all of those rock-bottom experiences that each and every one of us experience in our own particular lives. So here's where I want to come on to the Chiddush that we spoke about at the beginning of last, at the end of last week's shir. There's only two sources where I've seen this Chiddush. It's not in the Arizal as far as I know, but the fact that these two Mephorshim from such base, different camps and different schools both announced this Chiddush which we're going to see has a profound impact on the psychology of hope, it's fundamental that this chiddush is rooted in the writings of the Arizal. It's rooted in the fundamentals of what Panimiya Satora are coming to teach us, even if it's not abundantly clear exactly where this makor is coming from. And the tzaddikim that we're going to be speaking about are again the Rebbe Rashab, of Shalom Dov Ber Shnirsen, the fifth Rebbe of Lubavitch, the Rambam of Hasidus, a tzaddik who are going to have a shear on his conception of hope, hope as patience, Amir Tzashem, in a few weeks. And the other tzaddik is going to be the Leshem Shoev Achalema, the tzaddik who's standing beside us in that picture. The source in the Leshem, which we're not going to read inside, is from Sefer HaKlalim, Klali Hispashtus Vesklalus, and Klal Yud Zayin. It happens to be that the Leshem Shoev Achalema that I have, the Sefer HaKlalim, is missing that Klal. It happens to be one of the most important prakim that the Leshem ever wrote. And in the Rebbe Rashab, this is going to be in Sefer HaMamarim Tafresh Nuntes. Now the Rebbe Rashab has thousands and thousands and thousands of pages. And it happens to be that this Chiddush is written in very few places, and in one of the places, it's in the year Tarnat, in Hemshech Tarnat. And he writes as follows after discussing the Kav. The Rebbe Rashab writes as follows on surprisingly, or not surprisingly, on daf kuf vav, kav, says as follows, v'yesh mikubalim sh'oimrim, and there are mikubalim, there are meforshim who state, dila'asid, that in the future, gam b'chinas ha'kav nimshach az ad lemata betachtis mamish, that when the future arrives, or when the future burgeons, or when the future grows, that kav that Hashem re-entered into the world, that ray of measured light, that space of hope, of kivoy, that Hashem implanted within the space of hopelessness, is going to begin to descend again. 
it's going to move deeper and deeper into those places of chilul, into those places of death and depravity and brokenness and hopelessness and despair and difficulty. What the Baal HaTanya describes in Paraklamid Vav of Tanya as tachtis she'en tachtis kamoihu, a bottom level where there is no bottom below that bottom. Or what the Lashem Shabayi Chaloyma describes as prat ha'acharon she'yachol leparet, the particular that is most particularized to the point that you can't particularize it any further. Or what the Lubavitcher Rebbe, in the name of the Balatanya, describes as choyshech kaful umchupo, a darkness that is doubled over in itself. Or as Rabbi Nachman describes, a hester betoycha hester, a concealment within a concealment. Or Rabbi Nachman describes elsewhere as this world which is Gehenim mamish. This world which is not Olam Hazen, nor is it Olam Haba, it is Gehenim Mamish. What the Rashash Rav Shalom Sharabi describes in his parish on the bracha of Malbish Arumim in his Sefer Nahar Shalom as Olam Hazeh Hagonuz Besoich Nachash, as this world that is buried within the belly of the snake itself. That the Kav will descend down into the lowest parts of our experience, down into our place into where we find ourselves, into the place where we struggle, our generation, those akvayim, those heels that are bitten by the snake. Then in the future, this kav, this ray of light, this ray of hope will descend down to the absolute bottom itself. And at that point, the circle, that halal, that empty void in which we exist will be connected both at the top and the bottom from the ray of infinite light, from the possibility of kivoy, of kav, and it will give birth to the reunification of both sides of that circle. Shagam bechinas tachtis hakav, that even the bottom of the kav, yihiyadavuk be'en sof ha'sovev kemol ha'elyon shabo that the bottom of the kav will be connected to the bottom of the circle, just as the top of the kav is connected to the top of the circle. At which point there will no longer be a distinction between above and below kav. Nevertheless, says the Rebbe Rashab, in some impossible way, it will still remain simply a kav, it will still remain an aspect of hope. Based on the writings of Ravichamaya Morgenstern and Yama Chachma in Tavshin Ayin Dalid, in his beer on Rechuba Sanar from the Rashash, what I'd like to try and explain is, is as follows. The entrance of the Kav into the void is the re-entrance of the possibility of hope into the present moment. The present moment, that voided space of history where the beginning of creation is no longer apparent to us, where we can no longer see the ma'as we can no longer remember properly the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world to the point that we try and testify to the fact that we believe it on Friday night by Kiddush, even though testimony is not allowed at night, Almost as if to say that even though our testimony is not real testimony, we still testify to the fact 
of Zecher Lama'aseh Bereshis, that once upon a time Hashem created the world. And even though we're far from the end, or the end is not here yet, we're stuck in the middle, between the beginning and the end. We no longer know. We're in the present moment where the beginning and the end, the past and the future, are equally distant from one another. And we're stuck. On both sides, it's difficult to find hope. The re-entrance of the Kav into the present moment, into that halal, into that space of whole or profane time that's no longer holy or sanctified, is our ability to draw hope into the present moment like we discussed last week. Our ability to split the present open and allow the future to melt into it. To see in the present moment the possibility of Geula within the present moment itself, even though Geula doesn't arrive right now. As I saw in the Nesiva Shalom this Shabbos, in Parshas Vayechi, on the Pasuk of Liyeshuascha Kivisi Hashem, a Pasuk that we're going to become profoundly familiar with when we speak about the Ramchal and his conception of hope next week, Bezras Hashem. But by that Pasuk of Liyeshuascha Kivisi Hashem, the Nesiva Shalom, Slusi Agnelenu, says something remarkable. He says that, Soid ha-geula hu ha-kivoy la that the secret of redemption is the yearning towards redemption because redemption is the yearning itself. That even if the future doesn't arrive yet, it's the desire and the yearning and the teshuka and the tzapil Yeshua that we discussed last week that redeems that moment even though it is not time for true redemption yet. And this idea, this concept of the possibility of drawing that kav, drawing that hope into the present moment, even though the hope for the future is not yet ready to be realized, is in truth what the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh and his Tamidim referred to as Oro Shel Mashiach, as the lights of redemption. It's not redemption yet. Redemption hasn't yet arrived. But in the time, in that vacuum, when redemption is close at hand, yet it hasn't yet arrived, we experience the fumes or the trace or the residual lights of the possibility of Mashiach, of an estimated prophet. And at that time, although we don't have access to Mashiach itself, to redemption itself, what we do have is the possibility of allowing the present moment, allowing the halal to enliven itself with the hope that when the future comes, it will be revealed retroactively that the present was also the time of the future, that the halal is also going to be revealed to have been a place of hilul, of chayim, the halal, which is the gematria of 68, is the same gematria the Mikubalim point out as chayim, as life. Almost as if to say that which appears to be void, that which appears to be dead, that which appears to be hopeless, is in truth retroactively going to be revealed to have been part and parcel 
of the growth towards life, as Rav Cook explains so often. And in the present moment, before that time arrives, we are gifted with that foreknowledge, with that knowledge before knowing, with that unconscious awareness, with that unknown known, that even though things are not the way they're supposed to be, when we dig in, when we settle in, when we lean into the present moment, if we dig deep enough, if we dig into the halal deep enough, if we embrace that chilul deep enough, if we're mitmodeid and we gaze at it unflinchingly enough, what we come to find is that this world and this profane time and this hopeless time begins to be flooded with the waters of hope. Because the bottom of the eagle, the bottom of the halal is already primed, like the Rebbe Rashab told us, to receive the influx of divine light. The broke down palace is already being rebuilt. Even though we can't see it, we can believe in it. And through the power of Amuna and Bitachon in the eventual fixing, we can taste of the fixing itself. So that even though redemption hasn't arrived yet, and even though the future is not yet here, the present itself is armed with the possibility of yearning for the future, which somehow, some way reveals the fact that the future is already part and parcel of the very fabric of the present. Of what Chazal referred to as as the ability of an individual to see their world in their days, to taste of moments of redemption even in exile, to find fixing even within brokenness, and how is that? How can we taste the fixing? How can we taste Mashiach even before he arrives? How can we taste of the light of redemption prior to redemption? How can we draw fixing into brokenness? It's hope that allows us to experience it. The hope for the future, the kivoy for the future, the yearning for the future, the ga'aguim for the future, the belief in the future, the bitachon, the trust that the future will arrive, is what allows us to create the vehicles and the kalim necessary to taste the future in the present even prior to its emergence. One of the most important stories, at least for me, is the story of the Vitebsker. Rav Menachem Mendel of Vitebsk, the Rebbe and Chavar of the Balatanya, Hasidic Rebbe, the proto-Zionist, the one who loved Eretz Yisrael before Eretz Yisrael was even a thing to love. The story goes that the Vitebsker, the Priha Aretz, found himself in Tveria, where he's buried. And he was sitting in his study, he was sitting in his room. And there was an announcement in town. Everyone was very excited that Mashiach had come, that the end had arrived. That the Kav had reached the bottom of the eagle that the halal was transformed back into a place of rectification, that the infinite revealed itself at the bottom as well as at the top, to create a manifestation of what Chazal tell us in the Medrash, that kishem shakilusa shalakadosh baruch hu ola meganeden, kach ola megehenem, that just as the praise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu emerges from ganeden, from the Garden of Eden, from redemption, so too does the praise of God emerge from Gehenna. Because Yeshin Yan Shiyatapecha Kol, 
there's an idea that flips everything around, and that is the idea of Enun Nurada. Uh, there's none other than him, above, below, left, right, good, bad, ugly, beautiful. It's all the same, past, present, future. It's all the same. And the Hasidim of the Hebsker came running to their Rebbe. They said, Rebbe, Rebbe, they're saying Mashiach arrived. They're saying Mashiach arrived. The Vitebsker very calmly gets up from his tender where he was learning. And he walks over to the window of his study. And he opens the window and he sticks his head out and he smells the air. And after a few moments of smelling the air, he turns back in with a face of despondency. And he looks at his Hasidim and he says, not yet. Nisht, nisht. No, no, Mashiach is not here yet. And after things settled down, the Hasidim came to the Rebbe, they came to the Tebsker, and they said, Rebbe, we get it. We trust you implicitly. If Mashiach is not here, you say he's not here, he's not here. Why do you have to get up and smell out the window? Why can't you tell us from where you were sitting? And the Tebsker answered, he says, because where I'm sitting, Mashiach is already here. Where I'm sitting, the redemption is already here. Things are fixed already. In this moment, I have enough kivoy, I have enough hope that the redemption is going to arrive eventually and therefore I can taste it right now. I can experience that light of Mashiach, which is the future in the present. Instead of that painful yearning of the present for the future, it is the yearning that draws the future into the present, enlivening, splitting open the present moment and giving birth to the future within the present to transcendence within imminence, to the possibility of infinity within the finite, to the possibility of light within the darkness, which as we've said so often is a doubled measure of light. That there's the possibility of of seeing your world in your days, of seeing hope manifest in the act of hope itself. Because the hope that we have, that kav, that kivoy, that yearning that we have, for redemption. And karve al-nafshi giyolai, like we say every Friday night by Lechadodi, that redemption should be drawn close to my heart. He told us Yaakov Yosef says the name of his Rebbe numerous times, the name of the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, that there's a collective gu'ula and there's an individual gu'ula. There's the redemption of the world and there's the redemption of the self. And even within the self, there's an infinite amount of redemptions necessary. Any moment of calmness, any moment of strength, any moment of hope, any moment of honesty, any moment of optimism, any moment of a tear, any moment of actual engagement with the self, with the other, with the world at large, is an aspect of redemption, is an aspect of gu'ula. So when we speak about yearning for the gu'ula, when we speak about drawing the future into the present, we're not necessarily speaking about metaphysical revolutions, we're talking about positive steps of doing the next right thing. That's how we draw Gaula into the present. That's how we see our world and our days. That's how we allow for hope to draw the future into the present. Now, what's important about hope and what's important about the concept, the psychology of hope is to recognize that a hope that lasts forever destroys the possibility of hope. Because hope is rooted on that very unsturdy ground that tries to balance itself between presence and absence, between positivity and negativity, between darkness and light, between the nefesh of Bahamas and the nefesh of the Kus, between Yom and Laila, 
between ma and ban, whatever the synonym a person wants to use is. When light arrives, as it will eventually arrive, and it should arrive tomorrow, there will be no more space for what we know of as kivoy, as hope, as yearning. Kivoy exists primarily on the unstable ground out of which it is born, which is the possibility of yeyush, the possibility of the loss of hope. Because it's only when the loss of hope exists as a possibility that hope can become anything meaningful. Or as we said in the name of the Arizal, it's only after the tzimtzum that the kav of kivoy can mean anything. And therefore, it's important to understand that if we're going to have moments of hope, there are also going to be moments that are devoid of hope. There are also going to be pockets of falling away from hope, of experiencing that halal once again. And it's important for an individual to understand that even though our hope doesn't last forever, and the hope that we feel in a present moment doesn't necessarily mean we'll feel it in the next moment, nevertheless, the important thing about hope is that you persist in your hope. You persist in your kivoy, even though we know it's going to fall away. As Rabbi Nachman tells us in the story of the Sheva HaBatlarim, which we just finished or just began teaching, is that what the king wanted from his son in order to receive kingship is that make sure you're happy even when you fall away from kingship. Because if you're happy when you fall away from kingship, then you're good. But if you can't maintain your happiness when you fall away from kingship, it will be a very clear sign that you never deserved kingship to begin with. The same is true with regards to hope. If we can't hold on to hope, even though we're going to lose hope in the next moment, then it shows that our hope was never hope to begin with. Which is why when we daven for hope, we say, Kave el Hashem, we yearn towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Yachlifu Koyach, and then we're going to go through a change of the guards, we're going to lose strength, we're going to expire. And then what comes next? Kave el Hashem, a doubled hope, a hope after hopelessness. A hope that exists after hope is dead. A hope that exists and it remains and it persists after it falls away. And so even though we know that our hope is not going to last, even though we know that our hope is not necessarily going to inflame the present with the future that we so desire, nevertheless, it doesn't take away one iota from the power of hope in the present moment. In this moment. And the teaching that I want to end with is as follows. Chazal and Masechus Beitza have an interesting question. They want to know, how do we know that we have a Neshama Yaseira on Shabbos? Right? If the Kav represents the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as it descends back into the Chalal, into the void, then Shabbos represents the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as it descends into the weekday, which is the void. One that takes place in space and one takes place in time. Which is why when you look at the Arizal, when you look at the Meforshim of the Arizal, it always says that when it came to the creation of the world, it was for the, sacred, it was for the purpose of the creation of Yamim Vemidos, of days and measurements, of space and time. Because that which takes place in space takes place in time as well, 
as well as takes place within the soul. So if the kav descending into the halal is the possibility of hope descending into the vacant space, then Shabbos descending into the week is the possibility of hope descending into profane time. And the question is, how do we know that we are endowed with an extra element of spirituality when Shabbos comes? How do we know that when Shabbos comes, we get an extra part of our soul? That kulam mis'atrin benishmas and chadasin that all of us are crowned with additional adornments of our soul. Machlokas amongst the Meforshim as to whether it's a part of us that was unrevealed beforehand or it's really something new. Either way you slice it, it's something new. And Chazal have a very interesting way of understanding this. You want to know how we know that we get an extra soul? Look at the words that HaKadosh Baruch Hu uses in the Torah to describe Shabbos. Shabbos Vayinafash. When Shabbos came and he rested. But after the cessation of activity, the completion of the world, God, so to speak, was capable of resting. So Chazal, in the way that only Chazal were capable of doing, Chazal misread the word Vayinafash. They take that word Vayinafash and they read it in a different way. Instead of reading it as Vayinafash, read it as Vay of Danefesh. Woe to me that I have lost my soul. Woe to me that I have lost my soul. And so Chazal say as follows. They say that you want to know how we know that we have the Neshama Yaseira? Think about the pain that you're going to feel when Shabbos ends. When you say, woe to me for I have lost my additional soul. Woe to me for I have lost my additional soul. And from that anticipatory mourning, from that anxiety over losing something that you don't even have yet, that's how you can know that you get it when Shabbos comes. From the pain that you can imagine about its eventual departure, you can assume that you're experiencing its arrival at this moment. Rabbi Nachman says as follows in Torah Lamed Aleph, in Ostes, The Iker Hisavu Sanefesh, the formation of the soul, the formation of the self, the formation of what it means to be a Jew. Who al yidei ha'hishtoikikus v'hakisufin shall ishta Yisraeli achar Hashem Yisbarach emerges out of the yearning and the desire and the hope and the burning passion that the Jewish individual has to reach Hashem. Each person according to their own level. That they yearn, and they desire, and they're crying and yearning out, hoping to reach something higher than ourselves. That hope, that yearning, is what creates the soul itself. These kisufim themselves, this yearning and this hope, na'aseha nefesh. That's how the nefesh is created. Kemosha kasuv, like the Pasuk in Tehillim Parak Peydalid tells us, nichsifa vegam kalsanafshi, that I have desired and so has my soul expired. 
And Rabbi Nachman Kedarach HaBekodesh reads it as follows. Hainu Masha Ani Nechsaf V'kale Achar Hashem Yisparach The fact that I'm yearning and hoping after Hashem Mizeh Atzmo Na'asenafshi That yearning and that hope is in and of itself what creates my soul. V'zesha Amru Rabbi Seyna Zechronam Lebracha and this is what our rabbis meant when they said in Masechas Beitzah and Daftes Zayin and Aleph. How do you know we get a Neshami Yisera? Vayinofash. Because the word says Vayinofash. Kevan Shashabbos, when Shabbos is over, Vayavdanefesh. Woe to us, for we have lost our additional soul. Hainu, what this means? Ishebetchilas HaShabbos. At the beginning of Shabbos, at the beginning of hope, when we need to receive that additional form of our soul, we remember or we anticipate the fact that our additional soul, that additional hope and power that we feel on Shabbos is not going to last forever. It's going to go away. We're going to lose it. It's not here to stay. And we begin to scream out, Woe to me, for I've lost my soul. Woe to me, for I've lost my soul. And we begin to yearn and desire after it and hope for it. And through this itself, that we yearn and we hope after the soul, that in and of itself is what forms our soul. So the very fact that hope doesn't last forever is what creates hope. The very fact that hopelessness stands right outside the recesses of my hope is what gives me the ability to hope. The fact that we sit in the halal right now, awaiting for that kav from kivoid to come back down, is what allows us to hope for the eventual arrival of the infinite light back into our lives. And as we've seen from the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, that a taste of something, a taste of the infinite, is the infinite itself. That the knowledge of the future and the present, even though the, pre- the future hasn't arrived yet, allows us to redeem the present moment by hoping for the future in the present moment. Bezdus Hashem, what we're going to discuss next week is Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato, the Ramchal. The Ramchal spent a lot of time in his life yearning for Mashiach. And he was very specific about when Mashiach would come. And then when Mashiach didn't arrive, instead of losing hope, the Ramchal shifted his entire project to a project of Kivoy, of Yeshuascha Kivisi Hashem, of for your salvation, I hope. And so in the absence of redemption, what the Ramchal creates is a redemption within exile, is the possibility and the promise of hope to carry us out of the present broken moment by splitting it open and allowing the future to melt into it. Bezra Sashem. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. 
For more from the Chef of Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 